All right, how are we? We good? Good. We're in the second week of this series called Burn the Ships. And if you weren't here last week, I'll kind of recap quickly for you. But even if you were, as always, I'll remind you. But if you got a Bible, open them up to Philippians chapter 3. That's where we're going to hang out and spend our time together. And then we'll go to John chapter 15. And Philippians chapter 3 is the verses I was going to get to last week, but didn't just have time to get to it. So we're going to pick right up where we left off last week. But the whole concept of this series, Burn the Ships, comes out of the story where Cortez, an explorer, went to a new world and conquered. And, and he had this famous saying where he told his, his men that if we're going back, we're going back in their ships. And so he burned the ships because he wanted to move forward and they wanted to go back. And the idea of what we're saying for us is as we start a new year, it's a great time to have a conversation of saying, hey, we want to move forward. But in order to move forward, we have to burn every option we have of going back. And, and so often, the reason why we don't move forward is because we're just not ready yet to move forward. We're still not ready yet to, to kind of make a way of saying, you know, we're not going back. We are burning every option we have of going back. And the reason why we don't want to do that is because we want to leave those as options. We're not quite ready to grow up yet. And that's really the whole, uh, whole point of this series. It all came out of one verse in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. You don't have to turn there, but I've got it here on the screen. This is what we looked at last week, where Paul said this. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So in order to grow up, we have to give up. In order to move forward, right, we've got to burn the ships of the past. We've got to say, I'm not going back there. And so often, if we're not careful, we just think about what we want to do, what we want to start doing, and we don't think about what we need to stop doing. We don't think about the things we need to give up in order to grow up. And so often, we've got these phrases like champions never quit, right? But champions do quit. They just quit the right things, including cable, if you've seen the DirecTV commercials, right? It's not that they don't quit. They just quit the right things, they quit the right things. They give up on certain things so that they can grow up. And I don't know about you, but there were some childish things in me from 2018 that I don't want to bring into 2019. Let me say it to you like this. I don't want to spend all 2019 having a conversation about what should have died in 2018, what I should have left there, what I should have gave up. Thoughts, words, beliefs, value systems. And so that's the whole point of this series. And so we're going to dig in more today in Philippians chapter three to think about how do we do that? How do we give up childish ways in order to grow up? And as always, we ask God, we stop, we pray before we get into his word, because we know without him, we can do nothing. So let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for what you're doing in us, for us, through us. And God, as always, we ask you to open our eyes to see the, the truth that's in your word, because we know without you, we can't see. Without you, we can't hear. You are the one who saves us. You're the one who opens our eyes, and then we respond in faith. So we ask you to do that now. God, we ask you as we open your word that you would bless not only the reading of it, but the preaching of it and the listening of it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Philippians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 
12, and I'm going to do my best to kind of connect it. Same writer who wrote Corinthians wrote Philippians, again, another letter to another church. And in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, he says, I gave up childish ways. I'm going to bring that concept or that thought into this conversation because it's a, a very similar conversation that Paul is having, uh, having with the Philippian church about how do we continue to do that. So verse 12, we're going to start in verse 12 in chapter 3, then we'll work our way down to verse 16, then we'll move on to John 15. He says this, not that I have already obtained this or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Let's, let's stop there for a second. When he says not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, that word there, perfect, is the concept of mature. He says, listen, I haven't obtained this yet. I'm not there yet. And so when you think about what he says in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, well, I gave up childish ways. That's not just one thing that we do in the past. That's something we do every day because we're not there yet. We haven't arrived yet. We are not all mature yet. And I don't know about you, but it encourages me so much to know that if the apostle Paul wasn't mature yet, there's hope for me. Like if he wasn't there yet, if he hadn't arrived yet and he's on the level of writing scripture, I mean, I'm on the level of barely reading scripture, but he's on the level of writing scripture and he's saying, listen, I haven't obtained this yet. I haven't gotten this yet. I'm not perfect yet, but I press on. I'm not perfect, but I press on. The reason why that is so emotionally healthy is because I say this all the time, those who are the most dysfunctional are those who don't know they are. So let me say it to you like this. The most immature people are those who think they're mature. Have you noticed that yet? I mean, the most immature people are the ones who think that we would all be better off if we were just more like them. They're the most immature. So therefore, it is way more emotionally, spiritually healthy to admit I'm not there yet. Why? Because if I think I'm there, then I'll quit pressing on. If I think I've arrived, then I'll quit trying. If I think I'm mature, then I'll stop working to be mature. And we all know if you stop working on something, you don't gravitate upwards. You gravitate downwards. So I love that Paul says the way that we give up childish ways is we never quit giving up childish ways. We keep pressing on. I haven't obtained it yet. And this is, again, so encouraging to me, and I hope it's so encouraging to you as you think about in this new year, you're having a conversation with yourself. You know, man, I just haven't gotten there yet. I haven't arrived yet. If the Apostle Paul were sitting, sitting there with you, he'd be like, yeah, me either. And that's what he's doing here. I haven't obtained this yet. I'm not perfect. I'm not spiritually mature yet, but I'm pressing on. I'm pressing on. And I love how he says this. I'm pressing on to make it my own. And then I love this phrase because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now that is in past tense. He has made me. It's in perfect tense. He's saying this has happened so in one sense, Paul's saying, listen, I'm not pressing on in order to be saved. I'm pressing on because I have been saved. 
And I love this concept of I'm pressing on because Christ has made me his own. I'm pressing on to make it my own. So there's this already, and you'll see this in John 15 as well. There's this already, and there's this not yet. He has been made, Christ has made him his own, which that is an understanding from Paul saying, listen, the only reason why I'm saved is because Christ made me his own. Paul wasn't searching for Jesus. You know the story? He was walking down the Damascus road and Jesus found him and said, why are you persecuting me? Paul wasn't chasing after Jesus. Paul is keenly aware of the fact that the only reason why he was saved is because Jesus was chasing after him. And the only reason why you are saved is because Jesus chased after you. He came after you. He made you his own. But I love how Paul's saying this. He made me his own, but I'm trying to make it my own. I'm pressing on to make it my own. I I thought about this in my own life, and and I love the picture of what he's saying is I'm trying to press into the fact that he made me his own. I'm pressing into what he pressed on, right? Right? I'm pressing into further, deeper into this relationship to the one who made me his own. That's why he said in Philippians chapter two, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out what God worked in. If you watched our Facebook Live on the last Sunday of the year, December 30th, is still on Facebook. That was the message for that day because we talked about, hey, this is what we need to know for 2019. I'm trying to work out what he worked in. And in the working out of my salvation, I'm working in deeper and deeper what he worked in. I'm working out what he worked in. And I love how Paul says this, man. I am pressing to make it my own because he's made me his own. I take that to mean this. Paul's saying, I'm trying to work out in every area of my life that he saved me. I don't know about you, but do you ever feel like only parts of you are saved? You ever felt like that? Only part of you, I guess I'm the only one, me and like three of you that groaned, all right? You know, when you talk about the division of spirit, soul, and body, I'm saved in my spirit, I'm being saved in my soul, I will be saved in my body. And so this this part of, and this is the wrestle, right? Paul talks about this later about the spirit versus the flesh. I'm saved in my spirit, which means he saved me, he made me alive. My spirit was dead but he's saving me in my soul. And my soul is my mind, my will, my emotions. He's saving me. And so there's so often in my life, I feel like, yes, I know I'm saved, but there's so many parts of me that are not saved yet. And that's the idea. I'm trying to work in this salvation. I'm trying to get the spirit of God into every part of my flesh. And that's Paul saying, man, I haven't arrived yet. I am working it in. I'm working it in, working it. I'm pressing on. Well, how do I do that? Continuing in the verse, look at this. He says, but one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul likes long sentences. But you look at this, he says, one thing I do. How many things? One. Come on, Jasper, let's try this again. How many things? One. But if you're reading it, doesn't it read like it's three things? You ever thought that? This is the conversations you should have with yourself as you're reading the Bible. Paul says, one thing I do. And then it looks like he gives us three verbs. Forgetting, straining, 
and pressing on. One thing I do, I forget the past, I strain forward, I press on. Paul, that sure sounds like three things, man. Come on, you're not that mature. You already said it. But again, in English, it doesn't quite translate over. We've got to understand construct because those words are not equal. The verb in that sentence is press on. That's the verb. So the one thing that he does is press on. Now, you see this in English by the grammar, by the, by the uh, punctuation. It says this one thing I do, comma, forgetting, straining forward, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward, uh, what is ahead, comma, I press on. So what's in those two, I had to look there because again, which would have been way more mature than try to memorize it, right? But he gives this, this sentence, it's, it's structured in such a way where the one thing that he's doing is pressing on. So he says, the one thing I do, press on. Those two other ones that look like verbs are actually participles, which participles, real quick lesson here, is a verb that's acting like an adjective, it's a verbal adjective. So in this sentence, there's not three verbs. There's only one verb and then two participles. So here's how you understand it. The one thing that he does is press on. How does he press on? Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So those two are describing the how. They're the adjectives, right? They're describing the verb. So the verb is, I press on. That's the one thing, which makes sense is because it's exactly what he said in verse 12. I haven't already obtained this, but I press on. But here's what's so helpful for us. How do I press on? How do I press on? Well, he tells you by forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting what lies behind. Now, here's what's so interesting. This word here, forgetting, Paul is not saying, man, I have this magical psychological ability to, I mean, think about computers, to highlight these things and then drag them into the trash and they're gone. Paul is not saying you and I got to learn mental gymnastics and we have to just become good at forgetting things in the sense of, no longer remembering them. Paul is not saying we've got to get to this higher plane of enlightenment where we forget all that, like we don't even remember that it happened. You want to know why that's not what Paul's saying? Because if you go back up earlier and read in chapter three, he gives list of things in his past. He says, when I, you know, before I came to Christ, I was this. I had all the confidence in the flesh. I was a Pharisee. I was a tribe of Benjamin. He gives a list of things in his past. But then he says this. He says, but I count them all as loss now. For there's a passing worth of gaining Christ. In fact, I, I treat them all as rubbish. Garbage. Paul's not saying literally you have to be able to forget it, like select it and delete it. You can't forget the past in that sense, but you can assign different meaning to it. Think about it like this. Paul's saying before he came to Christ, I had all these accomplishments in the flesh, but now they mean nothing. They mean nothing. 
He doesn't forget all those things he did. He forgets what they meant. See, that is maturity. Maturity is to be able to go back into your past and assign different meaning to the events that happened. That's maturity. Let's just use some examples. Let's, let's use Joseph as an example. In Genesis, the story of Joseph. You know the story. He gets a dream, and he gets a dream that all of his brothers are bowing down to him, and he made the mistake of going to all of his brothers. like, hey, I had this dream. Y'all are all bowing down to me. Don't you love it? And they were like, no, we don't love it. We're going to kill you. And so they throw him in the pit, right? Because his, his younger brother says, no, let's not kill him. Let's throw him in the pit. And then for 20-something years... He is put through this whole painful process of being sold, of being lied about, being put in prison. And lo and behold, wouldn't you know it, through all of that pain, he becomes second in command in Egypt. Then a famine comes and wouldn't you know it, all his brothers come trouncing back in. And right in that moment, Joseph has a decision to make. Here's all of his brothers that sold him into slavery, that lied to his father about him being dead. And now he has the ability, the power and the authority to kill them, to punish them. But he forgot. What do I mean he forgot? You go read it in Genesis 50. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He assigned different meaning to it. He's not forgetting the fact that they meant it for evil. But he's saying, but now I have reinterpreted those events. I have reinterpreted them through the sovereignty of God because now I know had that not have happened, God wouldn't have got me here to bless you. See, the childish way of thinking, you hurt me. You hurt me. And I'm just gonna sit here until you feel bad about it, right? <clears throat> Just side note, how many marriages function like that? You hurt me. And I'm not gonna forgive you until you have the pain that I'm feeling. Childish. Or you could see, actually, yeah, you hurt me, but it helped me. You hurt me, but through it, God helped me. Because had you not hurt me, I wouldn't have grown up. Had you not done that, I wouldn't have been forced to change. I wouldn't have been forced to recognize reality. See, here's what Paul's saying. We have to learn how to have selective memory about those events in the past and give them different meaning so that they no longer have present. They no longer have power over our present. That's what he's saying. Forgetting that. And it's not just failures. It's also successes. The biggest detriment to our future success is our past success. When we did it in the past, it worked. And now we're just going to do it again. But guess what? It's no longer the past. It's the present. Because time doesn't flow like that. Time doesn't come to us from the past. 
Time comes to us from the future, right? So it flows from the future into the present and then becomes the past. So what I said 10 seconds ago is now the past. What I'll say 10 seconds from now is the future. In just a second, it'll be the present, then it's the past. That's how it works. But we treat life like it flows the other way. We keep bringing our past into our present, and then it's determining our future. We can't get past our past. Paul says, if you're going to press on, you're going to press on into becoming more mature, you got to forget. Another way of saying it is what got you here won't get you there. What got you here won't get you there. This is true not only of marriages. This is true in business. This is true in churches. This is true in any, anything that you're in. We have to constantly evaluate, man, what got me here won't get me there. So what do I need to stop doing before I talk about what I need to start doing? So for 2019, not only do we need to start doing lists, but we need to stop doing lists. I'm going to stop these things. I'm not going to keep bringing this into my past before I talk about start doing these things. I got to clean out before I can bring in. Another way to think of it is this. I have to unlearn some things before I can relearn some things. You want to know the key to relearning or learning is unlearning and relearning. You have to constantly see yourself again as a sponge soaking in new information. The problem, the reason why you and I stop learning is because we think we know enough. Well, there's some things we got to unlearn. There's some things we got to forget. And Paul's saying, this is the one thing I do. How do I press on? Forgetting the past and straining forward to what lies ahead. Now look at this, verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call. The upward call. Which direction? Up. Let's try that again for all of you that didn't hear me or weren't paying attention. Which direction? Up. Upward. The upward call of God. So which direction is God calling us? He's calling us upward. Why? Because that's where he's at. It's from heaven and he's calling us to heaven. You want to know what that means? God's call is not downward. Because downward is how you go if you don't press on. We know this. You don't grow up through osmosis. You grow up through efforts, through hard work. The reason why most of us, whether it's in our marriage, whether it's personally, whether it's in our church, whether it's in our business, whether it's in our job, the reason why most of us stop growing is because it comes in the form of hard work. Right? It's hard. Which is why I could almost tell you in every circumstance in your life, always choose the hardest route. Always choose the hardest route. Well, I don't want to choose the hardest route. Well, if you choose the easiest route, guess what? Your life's going to be crooked. You want to know that's why rivers are crooked? Because they take the path of least resistance. My father's an HVAC. He owns his own HVAC company. And if I heard him say it once, I heard him say it a thousand times to customers when they were talking about ducts and you know, airflow and all that stuff. He said it, air is just like water. It takes its path of least resistance. You have to direct it. You have to force it. And that's so true in our life. If we're going to go upward, if we're going to grow up, then there's some things we've got to give up. But you want to know why you and I don't get past our past? You want to know why you and I don't give up on the things of our past? It's because we don't want to. 
We don't want to grow up because in order for us to grow up, we have to give up. And I'm just not ready to forgive that person because they hurt me. I'm just not ready to recognize the fact that, hey, I might need a counselor. I don't, I don't Let me just, here's a word of wisdom for you. If you're one of those who says you don't need a counselor, that is the glaring sign that you do. You do. I don't need to go talk to a pastor. <laughs> you need to be tripped because you do. Like you need to be tripped so you fall on your face hard enough to realize you do. Again, the most healthy ones among us are those who know that they're not healthy. It is so healthy to know that you're not healthy. Don't you feel better, right? That's the point. But the reason why you and I don't grow up is because we're not willing to give up. Let me say it to you like this. The reason why you keep living in the past is because you're choosing to. You're choosing to. And listen, I, I do it too. I'm not ready to give up my best friends, Ben and Jerry. I'm, I'm just not. They're not my best friends. Bluebell is my best friend, but that's it's not a person, right? But Ben and Jerry's is. I'm not ready to give up those things that comforted me. I'm not ready to give up my dysfunction because it's normal to me. It's comfortable to me. But then I love how Paul says this. Look at the next verse, verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And listen to this. I love this. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. You know what he just said? If you don't think this is true, God will show you. If you don't think that this is how mature people think, God will reveal that to you. This is the point. You can learn it now or you can learn it later. You can learn it now or you can learn it later. The only difference is the amount of pain you're going to experience. If you learn it now from other people's failures, you're wise. But most of us are so stubborn, we have to learn it through our own failures, which is why God conspires against us to show us that doesn't work. It would be unloving for him to let unhealthiness work. So he says, those of us that are mature think this way. And if you don't, God will show you. He has his ways. People are like, God works in mysterious ways. No, he works pretty straightforward most of the time. I'm not saying they're not mysterious. I'm not saying that's not true. But what I'm saying is the reason why they're mysterious is because we're not mature. But, but once you become a parent, they become far less mysterious. Why are you spanking me if you love me? Because if I don't, you'll be an unruly weed, right? When you're a kid, it's mysterious. When you're a parent, it becomes suddenly clear. So God very simply saying, hey, this is how it works. If you're going to work, uh, God's calling you upward. And in order to go up, you got to give up. You got to forget. You got to reassign meaning. You got to quit doing what you did to get you here and realize in order to press on, you forget and you strain forward. Then he says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let us hold true to what we have attained. What have we attained? What we have attained is not what we did by our effort. What we have attained is what Christ did, what Christ attained. And this is how it connects to John 15. So if you got a Bible, turn over to John 15 quickly. Just go backwards in your Bible. It's in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John 15, 
Verse three to five, very simply, Jesus is having a conversation to his disciples and he's telling them, this is how growth works. You wanna grow up? The upward call, this is how it works. Look at verse three. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So there's an alreadiness. Jesus is saying, listen, I took hold of you. You're clean because of me. I took hold of you. How I took hold of you is I fulfilled my word because I am the word. I became flesh, dwelt among you so that I could give my life for you. I've cleaned you. But look at verse four, abide in me and I in you. So there's an all readiness. It's already happened, but you got to abide in order to get all the benefit of it happening. You're already clean in one sense, but not all of you is clean in another sense. So abide in me, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So he gives us a picture as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. As the branch can't do that unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Neither can you. Verse five, look at this. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, we don't believe that statement. That's our problem. We don't believe that statement that apart from him, we can do nothing because we can do some things. Why? I can do some things. He's not talking about you can brush your teeth. You can walk. You can go to the bathroom. What is he talking about? He's talking about fruit that abides. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What is that? Fruit. He says, as the branches remain in the vine, the branches can't produce the fruit. What is the fruit? It's the fruit of the spirit. Galatians chapter five, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. The last one, self-control. Self-control is not a fruit of self. It's a fruit of the spirit. You want to know why you and I don't have self-control? Because <laughs> we keep living, looking to ourself to give it. Come on, self, have control. You ever try that one? <laughs> Even slap yourself, right? I used to joke, I wish I had a, a buzzer, not for insulin, but I wish I had a buzzer to shock myself. Like, okay, right, I'm going to move on. But you know what the problem is? I only do that for so long till I'll throw the shocker away because I'm not going to continue to discipline myself. So the fruit of self-control comes from the root of the spirit. Here's what Jesus is saying. I'm the root. I'm the, you want to know why you and I don't ever get the fruit? Because we try to get the fruit without going to the root. We try to detach ourselves as branches from the vine and then say, why is there no fruit? Why? Because you didn't do the one thing. Paul says, the one thing I press on, I press on to make it my own, that which Christ Jesus made me his own. What is he saying there? I'm pressing into the, to the vine. 
I'm pressing on by pressing in. And so as we're entering this season for us of 21 days of prayer, fasting, and worship, as we're having this conversation about burning the ships, you want to know how you do that? You abide. You press into him. You abide. Why? Because the branch can't bear it. The branch can't bear the fruit. This just clicked in my mind as I'm preaching. The reason why we have so much anxiety is because branches are trying to bear it. Branches were never meant to bear it on their own. The fruit that's out on the end of the branch is only, is, is only going to grow to the ability of the branch's ability to remain in the vine. That's what the word abide means. Remain. So here's why we're taking 21 days to pray and to fast. It's because we want to abide. We want to abide in him because without him, we can do nothing. And I love how Jesus says it. Neither can you. Neither can you. Let's do a little experiment here. Turn to your neighbor and say this. Everybody, both locations say, neither can you. That was, that was good. Let's try it one more time and say it like you actually mean it. Neither can you. Neither can you. You can't. You can't do that. Here's the good news of the gospel. He didn't ask you to. He didn't ask you to do it by yourself. He didn't ask you to grow up by yourself. He didn't ask you to give up childish ways by yourself. All he asked you to do was one thing, abide in him. One thing. Abide in him. And as you abide in him, he'll bear much fruit. I, I, I think that Jesus, man, I, can't, I, I mean, I can only imagine this, but he's up in, there in heaven. He's like, I didn't make it this hard. You keep asking me for self-control. You keep asking me for all these things. And I keep telling you the solution's the same. Me, me, me. Remain in me, remain in me, abide in me, abide in me. And I'll bear the fruit in you. I'll do the work of changing you. You just remain in me. So again, before we make lists of resolutions, we want to take 21 days and pray and fast and worship and say, God, I want to abide in you. I want to remain and the whole point of doing that is so that in that process, he can show us what we need to replace, what we need to remove so we can replace. And that's really what fasting is. On Thursday morning, I was taking my kids to school and I was having a conversation with my son who's just turned 15. And he was telling me about the sermon that he heard from students, Rev students the night before, Wednesday night. And, and I was amazed because he wanted to have a conversation about it. And he told me, he, he said, Dad, we talked about the three R's of fasting. And, and now I'm intrigued. I'm like, what are the three R's of fasting? <laughs> We're kind of going into this fast. I don't know. Tell me. And then he told me, remove, replace relationship. I said, was that what Corey talked about? Was that the message? He was like, yeah, it was awesome. And so it was so good. I went to Corey, our student minister here in Canton. I said, Corey, can I just borrow part of your message? I want to say this to the adults because it was that good. So if you want to know what students are being taught on Wednesday nights, here's a flavor of it. This is straight out of Corey's sermon. And it's my point. 
the three R's of fasting, remove, replace, relationship. Remove, replace, relationship. Here's the sentence. We are removing something for a set amount of time, replacing it with prayer and Bible study for the purpose of growing our relationship with God. We're removing something. Now, biblically speaking, when you talk about fast, it's primarily food. And there are different kinds of fasts. All this information's on our website. For 21 days, you could eat no food. For 21 days, no food, just liquids. Or maybe for 21 days, you're going without a certain type of food or a certain, you know, meals a day, or, or you're going to fast from social media, or you're going to fast from something else. The point so much is not what you're removing. It's more of what are you replacing it with? It's not just I'm going, if you go without food for 21 days, you're just on a diet. But it's what I'm replacing it with. I'm replacing it with prayer and Bible study because that's abiding. I'm replacing it and saying, God, I am intentionally remaining in you. How do I remain? How do I abide by reading his word, having a conversation with him for the purpose of growing our relationship with God? So over the next 21 days, very simply, we're saying we're removing food so we can replace it by abiding in him to grow that relationship so then he can show us, here's some things you need to give up. Here's how you need to grow up. Here's the thoughts. Here's the beliefs. Here's the words you need to give up so that you can grow up, upward into being more like me. So let's take 21 days and let's ask him and he'll answer. And the good news is as we do that, we're connecting to the source because apart from him, you can do nothing. So there may be some of you here today, you don't even know him. You're not connected to him. You can do nothing. But then there's a lot of us here that we do know him. But this is our way of coming back around and saying, I'm reconnecting with you again because I know you want to grow this in my life. And so I'm taking these 21 days to lay myself before you and say, I need you more than I need food. I need you more than I need this. And then at the end of it, we'll talk about the ships that we're gonna burn. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word, how it's an encouragement to us. And God, I pray right now for all of us because none of us have arrived. There is not one of us that is perfect because there was only one and he traded his life for ours so that in him we could be perfect and also be perfected. So God, I pray right now for anybody who's not perfect in you. They, they don't know you. Right now, you would save them. No one looking around or talking here as we close, but if you've never trusted Jesus, that's being connected to the source. That's the only way growth will happen in your life. So if you wanna trust Jesus for the first time, very simply, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of confession so that you can possess faith. I'm going to ask you to pray, not out loud, but repeat after me. It goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me, that you sent your son in my place 
for my sin. I ask you to save me, forgive me. I give you my life. Now, nobody looking around or talking, but if you just pray that, would you very simply just lift your hand up so we can see it? So we can see it, thank you. Thank you. We got men and women are gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand when they do, you can put it down. But then those of us who would say you've already trusted Jesus, I'm, I'm praying for us over these next 21 days, we would be reminded by the fact that not only did Jesus save us, that he make us perfect in the sight of God, he's the one who's perfecting us. And so all the changes we wanna see happen in our life, God wants to do it. If we'll just do this one thing and abide in him. That's how we press in. That's how we press on. We work out what he's working in. Father, would you do this? And thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen.